I was going to say that, uh, just introduce myself since there's some of you here that uh, I've never seen before. Um, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. Uh, I am not uh, the pastor. Um, I only preach about once a month, and that's usually uh, on a holiday, uh, like Thanksgiving or Christmas or Martin Luther King Day. Um, but uh, I'm really here just to make y'all appreciate Luke and Terry's sermons, okay? So um, that's who I am. That's what I'm doing up here. Um, <clears throat> I'm just going to say a quick prayer um, this morning. i got a really good text today, and uh, I just don't want to mess it up. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we pray that your name would be honored in this place today. God, we pray, hallowed be your name. Let your name be respected more than any other name. May your name be loved and cherished, feared more than any other name. It is indeed greater than any other name. I pray that you would move in this place to that end. pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill us and that you would do um, the unique work that each of us needs in each of our individual hearts this morning and move us as a community um, how you would want us to respond as a church. We love you. We thank you for your word. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, today, uh, we are... Uh, jumping back into Leviticus. Uh, we took a break, and you thought it was over, but it's not. Uh, we got uh, two more sermons, uh, and we're going to finish them because we're not quitters, okay? Um, no, it's gonna, we're going to finish it because there are still just some treasures in these last two chapters of Leviticus. Um, and just to just give a quick recap, since we haven't been here um, in like a month, um, the book of Leviticus— uh, is in the law uh, of the Old Testament, and uh, it comes right after uh, the book of Exodus, where God leads his people out of Egypt, and he brings them, um, he brings them out, and they're going towards the promised land, and God comes down to dwell with his people at the end of Exodus. He comes down in a big fiery cloud, and it makes it very clear that he's there. Um, and the book of Leviticus then comes right after that, and it is essentially... Um, holiness for Dummies. Okay, do you guys remember those yellow books that used to be out there? Uh, it is a book on how a unholy people can dwell in the presence of a holy God. And the theme of the book is, Be holy as I am holy, is what God says over and over and over again. Uh, so that is the book of Leviticus. And we've gone through sacrifices, we've gone through the festivals, we've gone through uh, the priests. Um, and today, we are landing on... Uh, a couple of celebrations that we're going to be talking about. Um, and I'm going to try not to say this. I'm probably going to say this wrong. Don't Google it. But I looked up a smart way to say this. Uh, and these are the septennial and the semi-centennial celebrations of Israel. Okay? Like I said, don't look that up because I probably, I probably said it wrong. should have written it down. Um, but these are a couple of celebrations that God laid out for the people of Israel to do. Not every year like the, all the other feasts and festivals, but it was supposed to be every seven years and every seven, seven years, which would be 49, 50-ish years, depending on when that was. Um, so I'm really excited about this sermon, and I've taken about five minutes to tell you about how excited I am. So uh, let's get into it. Uh, if you're following along in your Leviticus book, which you're probably not because you probably didn't know that we were talking about Leviticus today. So uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, go to Leviticus chapter 25 because that is where we will be. Uh, 
First, we're going to talk about what is called the Sabbath year. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 25, it says this, The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you, the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years you shall grow your field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its fruits. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to Yahweh. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap what grows of itself in your harvest, or gather the grapes or the undre- of your undressed vine. It shall be a year of solemn rest for the land. The Sabbath of the land shall provide for you, for yourself and for your male and female slaves, and for your hired workers and the sojourner who lives with you, and for your cattle and for the wild animals that are in your land. All its yield shall be fruit for you. <clears throat> so, um, just to um, really restate what, what was just said there, um, the Sabbath year was supposed to happen every seventh year. You guys, everybody knows the Sabbath day was every seventh day. Uh, but the Sabbath year would happen on uh, the, every seventh year. And on the seventh year, they were supposed to do something that was pretty crazy. He said, I want you, an agricultural society, to not do any agriculture. He said, on the seventh year, I don't want you to plant your fields. I don't want you to gather in your harvest. You can go out there and you can grab some for what you're going to eat in that day, but I don't want you to gather it in and I don't want you to sell it. I don't want you to plant for the next year. I'm not going to stand up here and pretend that I know a lot about agriculture. But I know enough to know that that is probably not advisable. (laughs) It's probably not a good idea. Because that's where all the food comes from. So, so I want to talk a little bit about the why. Okay, so why would God ask somebody to do that? Uh, Because it doesn't seem like a good idea. Um, And it's really interesting what it says. Uh, You know, the Sabbath day was, was set aside to be a day that people rest where we are supposed to rest, uh, just like God set out on the seventh day of creation. Uh, but it's really interesting, and it, it looks like at first when you read this, that God wants a year of rest for the people. Um, but instead, it says it's going to be a Sabbath for the land. The land is going to rest. Again, I don't know much about agriculture, but I did not know that land got tired. Okay? God says, I want you to rest the land. And uh, I'm going to be honest. Uh, that, um, I looked really hard to figure out why in the world land would need to rest. And uh, I'm pretty sure that this has, has to be. So I went on the Googles, and I, tried, and I went on YouTube, and I tried to search why would you. Uh, the the uh, King James, I think it might even have said it in here. It says, let the land lie fallow. At first I Googled what fallow meant. But then after that, I Googled why does the land lie fallow. Okay. And uh, whenever you go and, and you look, I couldn't find anything. Um, at best, some people said, yeah, you should, you know, it's good to let the land lie fallow for a year. Uh, other people said, yeah, actually, that's really not that good of an idea. Um, and, but one thing I think everybody would agree upon, even if it is something that is good for agriculture, it's good for a crop, um, it's something that you would do with just a small part of the, cro- of the portion of your fields at a time. And then you, while well, you would grow in this field, and then next year you would let this part rest. Uh, nobody's, nobody would ever say, yeah, don't plant any crops at all 
in one year. Uh, that nobody would say to do that. And so I'm looking around, I'm like, but God is really smart, and this must be some kind of agricultural cheat code that's just like, it's counterintuitive, nobody would have ever guessed it, but God's so smart that it just, you know, you let your land rest that year, and then the next year it's just so much good crops, a really bountiful harvest. I'm going to really not use any more uh, words because I'm going to run out of, you're going to really see my ignorance on uh, <laughs> agriculture. Um, and so I'm like, that has to be what's going on here. Um, and so I'm looking around for this, but I can't find it anywhere. Um, and then finally, I came across this guy who said something that he's a very smart person, I think. I don't know who he is, but this sounded smart. Um, this is what he said. He said, those scholars often assume the sabbatical year was intended to increase the fertility of the land as an agricultural practice. That was me. That's what I was thinking. I'm that scholar. Um, rude. <laughs> this is, so listen to this. It says, but the biblical text never specifically mentions this. It, says that's, that's, it never says that God says, do this and it's going to make it really, really fruit. They're still laughing about the scholar thing. Stop that. Uh, said the text never says that. This is what it does say. It says, in fact, God promises to provide a surplus in the year prior to the rest to ensure that the Israelites will have sustenance during the seventh year. This promise of blessing points to a theological motive for the sabbatical year as the practice is empowered by divine provision. And translate that a little bit. Uh, God's, not saying, he, God's not saying this is a really good idea. This is really smart agricultural practice. He's saying this is a bad idea for anyone else who's not covered by my divine blessing. He said, I am going to bless you in spite of this really seemingly silly thing that I'm about to ask you to do. This is really important for us. Because what God is doing here is he's not showing them how to be more fruitful. He's showing them, I am the one who is providing for you. Because what's going to become really clear is they're going to come, and they're going to come out on this seventh year, and they're going to eat the sixth year's harvest. And that's going to be great. But on the eighth year, there's not going to be very much food. And so they're going to have to trust that God is going to come through. And then when they get to the eighth year, and, get to the, and on to the ninth year, they're going to look back, because it says that he's going to provide for them, and they trusted in him. They're going to look back, and they're going to be like, wow, we did nothing. We didn't plant any crops. And yet God provided everything we needed for all three of those years, it says. And they're going to look back and they're going to go, wow, God provided when I did nothing. And sure, it's going to be the most obvious in those years, like, wow, God is our provider. God's taking care of us. But the point is, is that God is trying to make them see that even, not just in those, not just in the seventh, eighth, and ninth year is God providing for them, God's actually been the one providing for them in all of the years. You understand what I'm saying? The purpose of the Sabbath year was, to, was so that the people could get rest. That was, that was part of it. Uh, God wanted them to enjoy. It's supposed to be a celebration. You're supposed to get rest and enjoy it. But the real purpose of the Sabbath year was to show the people how dependent they are upon God's provision. 
my wife is a really hard worker. It's kind of annoying how hard of a worker she is sometimes, especially when I want her to uh, take the day off and stay home and uh, take care of the kids so I can do something else. Uh, she never will do that. Uh, she says that's unethical. Um, but her favorite line is, if you don't eat, or if, you, or if you don't work, you don't eat. She says that all the time. Maya even says it now. <laughs> says, don't work, don't eat. Uh, it's really cute. Um, but, and that is true. That's actually in the Bible. Um, but what that does not mean, what, what that means is God wants you to work, and he created you to work, and it's good for you to work, and he blesses your work. But what he's not saying is, it all depends on you. That is never what that was intended to mean. And that shows up in the Sabbath year, where God says, watch, all of these years you're working, and I'm blessing you, and I'm providing for you, but watch what happens when you do nothing. I'm still providing for you. And we're supposed to look back, and we're supposed to look at it and go, oh wow, it's not all about me and what I'm doing. Some of us in this room today really need to hear this. All that you have is not directly correlated with how hard you've worked or how smart you are or how gifted you are. You have what you have because God has provided for you. Now let me tell you how it's really easy to tell if a person understands this or not. If you are worn out, if you are exhausted, and you hear Luke get up to talk about the Sabbath day, and get up and talking about rest, and you say, I would really love to be able to do that, but I can't. And it usually plays out something like this in our mind. Um, I would love to rest, but I can't, because if I don't do this, then I won't have this. Or usually it's more like this. If I don't do this, my kids won't have this. If that is where you are, you have placed yourself in God's role as provider. You do not view God. You might say it if you're a really good Christian and you, you know better, but your life says, I am provider. You have taken down Jehovah Jireh, God is my provider, and you've become, or I become Joshua Jireh. Josh is the provider. I want to tell you a story about Joshua Jireh real quick, okay? Um, <clears throat> um, me and my wife a few years ago, uh, a couple years ago now, um, we wanted to make a little bit of extra money because we felt like we didn't have enough. Um, and so uh, we decided to go and get a side hustle. Um, I make videos, and so I thought um, people pay a lot of money to, for you to video their weddings. And so I got into that, and we started um, doing those. Um, and it was just a good way to make some extra money. Um, but it turned out that it was uh, a lot of work, and, and we were doing it, and uh, around that time we had Maya when we started, and then about halfway through we had Grace um, whenever we were kind of in the thick of it. And um, all that time, we never, we kind of felt like maybe the Lord didn't want us to, it was just a, a feeling, um, and it felt like it was a lot, maybe too much, but we kind of just ignored that, and we're like, it's, it's, it's good, extra money, and 
Um, and so we, we kept on doing it. And even, there got to a point where I especially knew that we were not supposed to be doing this. Um, but we were like, we need this. If we don't do this, then we're not going to have this extra money that we need for, you know, X, Y, Z things that we need. Um, and so <clears throat> I even preached a sermon on this. I know you guys remember it. Uh, I got up here and talked about uh, the hustle. I talked about uh, Ecclesiastes. It says, it says it's better uh, to have uh, one handful with rest than two handfuls full of striving and all that good stuff. Um, I don't have to tell you. I know you remember. Um, but anyway, I got up there and preached that in the middle of this. Uh, and um, whenever Finally, we got to a point where, where we had done a few weddings, and it, Grace was here, and it was, we just knew it was too much. And so finally, we, we sat down, and we talked about it, and we're like, we need to stop this. We feel like God's telling us we need to stop this. Like, don't really know, you know, the money's just gonna have to work itself out, because we feel like God's telling us this is too much, and we need rest more than we need this money. And so uh, we made that decision that night, and we went to bed. Um, and then the very next morning, probably... About 14 hours later, um, Maritza called me, and uh, she said, hey, my boss just called me and said that he needs me to work on um, these new set of projects this year, and um, it's going to be about one a month. I'll be, just have to go out of town one or two days, sometimes not at all for these, um, but they're going to be one or two a month, or uh, just one every month or so, um, and it's going to pay a lot of money <laughs> for each one. And Maritza's never had bonuses or anything like this before. This is totally unprecedented. Um, and it was at least um, five times as much as we were making uh, hustling and, um, and wearing ourselves out doing uh, these wedding videos. Um, God wants to provide. God is a much, Jehovah Jireh is much better than Joshua Jireh. And he's a much better provider than you. And sometimes what he wants us to do is just to let go and step back and rest so that he can work. That is the Sabbath year. Uh, hold on. I, don't wanna, I need to mention this. Uh, this isn't just about money. This isn't just about working for money. Um, there are a lot of you here that do a lot of things for Jesus. And I love y'all for that. Um, I want you to know that the fruit that you're producing for Jesus is also not directly correlated to the amount of work that you're doing for Jesus. God wants you to rest. You know, the, the Sabbath year is actually where we get the term sabbatical. Sabbaticals are not just for pastors. If you've been working for Jesus and you've been doing, and this could be church work, and this, but this could be your own thing that you're doing, um, it may be good for you to take a step back every now and then from the work that you're doing for the Lord, get some rest, and watch him continue to work while you get to rest so that you can know, so that you can realize that this is not about you and this is not about what you're doing, but it's been about what the Lord has been doing the entire time. I hope that's for somebody. <clears throat> okay. But if y'all are going to do that, like, don't all do it at once, okay? Because it would be a lot of extra work for me. Um. <clears throat> all right. Got seven minutes to talk about the Jubilee. Um, 
If you go to uh, verse 8. says, you shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the time of the seven weeks of years shall give you forty-nine years. Then you shall sound the loud trumpet, the ram's horn, on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement you shall sound the trumpet throughout all your land, and you shall consecrate the fiftieth year, and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you, when each of you shall return to his property, and each of you shall return to his clan. And I'm going to stop there and just explain the rest, because um, there's a lot of verses. Um, essentially, what the year of Jubilee was, is, it's a, you see it said, uh, you're going to blow the ram's horn. So it's on the Day of Atonement, um, every seventh Sabbath year. So that'd be every 50 years they would do this. And on the Day of Atonement, they would go out and they would blow the ram's horn, I bought a ram's horn on Amazon, $35, uh, but it smelled so bad, uh, and uh, I think it was like fresh off the ram, uh, but, uh, and when I tried to blow it, I just went, uh, so I was going to come out here and show you guys that, but it would have been embarrassing. Um, anyway, so uh, in fact, the, the year Jubilee, where that comes from, um, it, uh, it comes from the Hebrew word uh, Yovel, you, where we get the Jubilee, yo, Jubilee. Um, it, it's the word for ram. Uh, and so they would blow the ram's horn, and when they blew the ram's horn, they would know it's Jubilee. And when it's Jubilee, they knew liberty. Every person who had sold their property because they came into, um, came into bad luck or they got financially desperate and sold their property, the property would be returned to them on the day of Jubilee. And anybody who had been even more desperate than that and had sold themselves into servitude, they would be set free. So this Jubilee was the year of liberty. This is, this is a crazy idea to think about. Imagine if every person in the last 50 years who got foreclosed on in the Great Recession and all, and all that stuff that happened then, imagine if somebody came out and said, everybody who was foreclosed on, we're giving you your house back. That would be crazy. So, and in addition to that, even better than that, they're setting the slaves free. Everybody who had sold themselves into slavery so that they could keep their slavery, uh, slavery back then, uh, especially for Hebrews, it wasn't like slavery, like the bad antebellum era that we know of, where it was people would do that so that they could continue to feed their family. And uh, the Bible's very clear here that if you had a Hebrew slave, you were to treat him as a hired worker, not as a, like a slave. Um, but those people would be set free, and they would go back to their land, and they would, it would be a total economic, political reset every 50 years. <clears throat> this sounds really awesome to some people. And some of us are sitting here and thinking, what about the guy who bought the land and paid for, this, paid for the workers? That guy probably didn't think it was so awesome. <laughs> So why? Why is God doing this? Why is God doing the year of Jubilee? Why would he uh, take this land that these people bought, fair and square? Take these workers that these people bought, fair and square? 
And this is why. I'm, I'll just go ahead and put it up on the screen. There's two reasons. <clears throat> here's, the, here's a verse that talks about the land. Uh, it says, The land must not be sold permanently because the land is mine and you reside in my land as foreigners and strangers. What he's saying here is everyone is a renter. And he goes on and talks about the slaves. He says, If any of your fellow Israelites become poor and sell themselves to you, do not make them work as slaves. They are to be treated as hired workers. And this is... God is cool. He says, Because the Israelites are my servants, who I brought out of Egypt, they must not be sold as slaves. This is sanitized a little bit, because uh, I think they didn't want to say, God, they didn't want to have God saying, the Israelites are my slaves. But that's what it says. In the Hebrew, both of these words are the same word, ebed. So what he's saying essentially is, because the Israelites are my slaves, they can't be your slaves. You know, Jesus said you can't serve two masters. He said, these are my slaves. You know, slavery in itself is not wrong. A person owning another person is wrong. But everyone was born to be a servant of God. Every, see, I'm trying to sanitize it too. It, doesn't, it sounds icky. But we are all born to be slaves of God. He created us to serve Him. Any, what, what the year of Jubilee is all about is to remind us that Everything and everyone belongs to God. And let me tell you, some people think that sounds awesome. God thought it was awesome. Some of us don't think that sounds awesome. Those of us who have a lot may be kind of scared at the thought of something like this. I think, let's say, let that bother us for a minute. <clears throat> but just assuming that it's awesome, uh, just imagine for a second the sound. Imagine, imagine the year of the Sabbath and people coming through that and trusting God and watching Him provide for three years. And imagine the faith that got built up in the Sabbath year in people after that. I imagine it would have been pretty great. Imagine the sound of the year of Jubilee and they blow the ram's horn, and you hear the sound of people being reunited with their families, people giving back the keys to their homes. The joy would be audible. There would be rejoicing. There would be people yelling. <clears throat> but we have to just imagine it. Because the crazy thing about these two celebrations, they never happened. Go find a verse where it talks about, and then the year that they did the Sabbath year, and then they didn't sow their crops. You won't find it. Go find the year, but go, go try to find something where it says, and then it was the year of Jubilee, and they set all the slaves free, and they gave everybody their property back, and it was so amazing, and they were shouting and rejoicing. It never happened. This is pretty crazy. I'm just going to try to fly through this, um, but... It's cool, so just stick with me. In Leviticus 26, God talks about what is going to happen. Don't read it right now, I'm still talking. Uh, um, he, God talks about what's going to happen if the people disobey. 
and don't keep the law and worship other gods. And part of that is not keeping the Jubilee. God says, or uh, keeping the Sabbath in particular, this one. This is what it says. He says, I will scatter you among the nations and draw out, and I will draw out my sword and pursue you. Your land will be laid waste and your cities will lie in ruins. The land will enjoy its Sabbath years all the time that it lies desolate and you are in the country of your enemies. And the land will enjoy its Sabbaths. All that time that it lies desolate, the land will have the rest it did not have during the Sabbath Sabbaths you lived in it. Here's, this is something crazy. Um, if you go to Second Chronicles chapter 36, um, that's when Babylon is taking over and coming and destroying Jerusalem. And this is what it says. <clears throat> it says, He took into, exile, uh, took, exi- took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All of the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. Do you know how many years it was from when Israel went into Canaan until the exile? It was 490. I'm not good at math either, so somebody had to explain this to me. But 490 divided by 7 70. I'm not even confident telling it to you right now. I just like to think about it. It sounds so dumb. God removed them for 70 years. 70 years was how much they owed on Sabbath years where the land was supposed to lay rest. God says, if you're not going to do it, I'll do it. The land got its rest while they were in exile. Another crazy thing is they did not ever celebrate the year of Jubilee. Um, <clears throat> this is what Jeremiah has to say about this. It says, The word came to Jeremiah from the Lord after King Zedekiah had made a covenant with all the people in Jerusalem to proclaim freedom for the slaves. Here, they were about to do it. They were like, this is, we're going to do it, we're going to obey the Lord, we're going to set the slaves free on the year of Jubilee. It says, Everyone was to free their Hebrew slaves. No one was to hold a fellow Hebrew in bondage. But afterwards... They changed their minds and took back the slaves that they had freed and enslaved them again. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I made a covenant with, this is what Jeremiah is saying to them. Uh, I made a covenant with your ancestors when I brought them out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I said every seventh year, of each of you must free every fellow Hebrew who you have sold, have sold themselves to you. After they have served you six years, you must let them go free. Your ancestors, however, did not listen to me or pay attention to me. Therefore, this is what the Lord says, you have not obeyed me, you have not proclaimed freedom for your own people. So now I I proclaim freedom. This word for freedom is like releasing something. So he says, now I'm proclaiming freedom to you, declares the Lord. Freedom to fall by the sword, plague and famine, and I will make you abhorrent. To all the kingdoms of the earth. And he did. So there's the Sabbath year and the Jubilee. Very sad, very disappointing, 
such an opportunity for Israel to be a part of some, a couple of amazing things. <clears throat> a few hundred years later, actually don't have it here, it's not in here. Um, Jesus is in a synagogue for church on Sunday or Saturday, and he walks up to the front of the room. This is, there, this is the very beginning, this is before he's done any ministries, before he's done anything, nobody really knows who he is still, and he walks up to the front of the room, and he opens up a scroll, and he reads these words. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. See, it says, uh, I didn't use the right translation here. There's another one that's better that says the same thing. It says, uh, to proclaim liberty. Remember what, you can kind of hear the ram's horn in the background. On the day of Jubilee, they were supposed to get out the ram's horn, and they would blow it, and everybody would know that this is the day to proclaim liberty. And Jesus says, so he read this, I left out an important part. He read this, and then he closed it, being super cool. He said, today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is blowing the ram's horn. He said, you guys didn't do the jubilee, so I'm doing it. He says, this is the year of jubilee. And he went around, and he did all that stuff. He went around, and he set people free. He went around, and he released captives. He healed people of sickness. He set people free from bondage. He forgave people of their sins. And his whole ministry, everything he did, was jubilee. And y'all, it didn't stop whenever he died on a cross because he's still alive. And he still lives to bring the jubilee today. You know how I know? The Bible says so. But I've seen it. I've seen God set me free when I was a teenager in bondage to addiction. We used to always make fun of my dad because he cries all the time. <laughs> now I can't preach without getting emotional. I've seen it in a young girl who had no hope and was depressed like so many kids. Now she's free and she's happy. I've seen God set people from addictions here in this church just this year. seen him heal the sick, a little girl who was supposed to die. She's here. She's alive. And this year, this week, we found out they didn't know just how healed she was. There was a doctor who said, I can't tell the difference between this and any other kid. It's the year of Jubilee! Yeah.
because Jesus is alive. 